On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. The renewable stuff is getting competitive and I'm an industrial guy. Most of my customers want two to three year paybacks. So unless it's financed, renewable doesn't cut that, that line. Energy efficiency for business not only saves money, but it's good for the environment. A national authority on the topic will share his advice with an audience in Des Moines this month. You know you're paying more at the pump, and soon that will trickle down to other purchases. And in our business profile, we'll introduce you to a company that turns Iowa corn into Iowa spirits. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of March 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Energy management has emerged as an important part of a business's operation. There are obvious cost savings involved, a benefit to the environment, and tied to that, an employee and customer base that is increasingly interested in that environmental aspect. Dr. Eric Woodruff is an energy project developer and strategic advisor with experience in identifying global trends and designing energy policies. He'll be the keynote speaker at an energy workshop to be held in Des Moines later this month. As a college student at UC Santa Barbara, which is a primarily party school, I was fully engaged in that part of my college education. But I was 20 and I went to this class and this really engaging professor was talking about energy and the environment. And, and, and it was kind of an interesting relation to the Native American peoples, and it kind of went through this whole history of American environmentalism, but that got me hooked. And then there were successive classes that I took in energy environment. I saw energy as being a huge piece of the problem, you know, because the more energy we use traditionally, at least in in my career, (laughs) the, the worse it's been for the environment. So when I was all passionate about this as a young 20 something year old, I went to my dad who was building like his second house. He had, he had done well. And he was um, building this cabin uh, up in the uh, lake area of Los Angeles. And I was just coming off this Rio Earth Conference and, and there was a thing in LA and I went to it and I was all excited. And so I said, dad, you got to do the solar. You got to do it. And he says, it doesn't pay for itself. It would take 25 or 30 years to even pay for itself. And it really hit me hard in the heart <laughs> that he wasn't going to do this. And I saw this as okay, this has got to pay for itself. But I think to your point, beyond that, it has to be not a sacrifice. And I think some of the energy issues in the past, uh, policy-wise, whether it was the 1970s energy crisis, a lot of the solution was that around sacrifice, like we're going to make it more uncomfortable in your office and we're going to save energy. What most of the work I've been doing with thousands of other people around the world involves no sacrifice. It is literally behind the scenes, saving energy and actually improving the environment, particularly with LED lighting and some of these other things. So that issue, I think, is fairly well resolved. And I think even more relevant is that the money side of it is actually quite attractive. It's actually better than Wall Street when you compare apples to apples, a dollar here, a dollar there. It beats Wall Street. 
Uh, even solar, I have solar on, on one of my buildings and it's getting me a solid 10 to 12%. And I have done nothing, no maintenance. And that, that's better than what I'm making in the bank. And, and so that's to me where I think the sweet spot is right now. From a business standpoint, from a balance sheet standpoint, it now makes sense from what you just said. What's the hindrance, though, if that's the case? Businesses might have said we can't afford it in the past. Well, now that affordability issue is not in question. Is there something that is keeping people from adopting these more efficient methods? The best example I have of this is a compelling event. Energy efficiency does not have a compelling event. I'm fortunate to be married to someone who is a medical doctor who runs a medical clinic. And when she tells someone they have breast cancer, they take action that day. If you go into some building and I say, I can save you 50% in your lights or HVAC or whatever, they're like, okay, but I don't really have to do anything. They don't have this compelling event. And we're, we're turning that around. And I think it's just an education thing is you really are making a decision when you don't do anything. I mean, I can turn on the lights and maybe they're not LED, but they'll still come on. I could still run a class and all that. But I'm throwing money away to the utility every single month that I do that. And I never get that back. And today it doesn't even really help the utility that much because pollution is not something they're trying to minimize as well. So there is a choice for doing and a cost for doing nothing, but it's not as hardcore is a compelling event like I've got cancer or I've just had a front first stroke and now I'm going to do something different. So I think that's the big missing link. There needs to be some call to action, a trigger, something with a deadline, that sort of thing, or as you say, a compelling event. Otherwise, I look up and say, well, the next time I need to buy light bulbs, I'll get the LED ones, as opposed to making a concerted effort. Yes, I'm going to have to have the financial outlay Do you simply wait until there's time or do you say, let's make the financial outlay right now, get ourselves a much better lighting situation to work under, then start saving on the electricity from the outset? You just have to create your own compelling event. Yeah. And I think a lot of it with particularly the LEDs, the idea of a smart LED in your house that can change color is pretty attractive. You know, that's kind of neat. You could have romantic evening uh, one day and uh, reading day the next, all with the same lights. In a convention center, you could have an expo with very, very white light during the day and at the night host like a wedding reception and have it be much different ambiance. All of those things are options that increase revenue, obviously save energy on the, on the energy side, but are kind of exciting, you know, and that, that could be there. But I want to take this one step further because I, I'll, I'll share with you my own reluctance in, in, in areas where we've had issues. So I said we put solar on this building and I can show you, I mean, it basically is running the building. So now my energy is free. And so there's not the same compelling event for me to put the latest LED lights in the building. I already have LEDs there, but there's not, I mean, the new ones are probably 15% more efficient than the ones I have, but I don't care because the energy is already free. And so it sets up an in- another interesting kind of, and, and people with electric cars have the same thing. They're like, I've got my electric car. I haven't gone to the gas station in three years and my energy is 12 cents at the house. So I'm paying 40 bucks more in electricity and saving 300 bucks in gas at least. And their motivation changes for some of these things too. So it's got, you know, it's kind of an interesting quandary. It used to be that businesses were solely in business to make money. 
But now we find that they need to be socially responsible in order to first attract consumers or customers or investors, for that matter, but also to attract employees because people want to work for a company that believes in doing well and doing good. Is that a factor in all of this? Are you seeing that movement as well where, again, there's this push from various aspects of society that might lead, that alone might be a compelling event. You know, there probably is some truth to that. And there's even investing groups that are really being clear, like if you're not doing these X, Y, Z things, we're not going to put our billions of dollars in you. And I think Blackstone and some others have done things like that. On my view of the people that I work with, the practical facility manager, business owner, I kind of see that stuff as coming and going. I'm 52. I've seen it come and go three or four times. I don't get that excited about it. And I don't lean on it or count on it. I think there's plenty of other things. I I will acknowledge it's great, you know, if people think that way. And I think there's a lot of evidence with college campuses attracting students and attracting the top talent and then keeping the top talent in professors. Same with large commercial firms. They do have to think about that stuff. But we don't rely on it in the world that I operate in with people I do, but I think it's great that, that it is another factor. Dr. Eric Woodruff, Ph.D. We connected via Zoom on Monday, February 7th. The Iowa Energy Efficiency Workshop is being organized by the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. It will be held in Des Moines on March 24th. You can learn more about the event or register by going to their website, iwrc.org. Still to come, the most recent example of inflation and a business profile of a company that partners with corn growers for a distinctive product. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. What do Olympic wrestling legend Dan Gable, Hollywood funny man Adam Devine, and America's Got Talent soloist Emily West all have in common? Why, it's Waterloo, of course. These are only a few of the famous, noteworthy, and praiseworthy people who hail from Waterloo, Iowa, which begs the question, why not Waterloo? I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the new competitive dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. The price of gas at the pump has been on an upward trajectory for more than a year. But the price has spiked dramatically in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. From my personal experience, I took a trip to southwest Iowa earlier this week. The price of gas jumped 30 cents per gallon from Monday when I left to Tuesday when I filled up for the trip back home. As of Thursday afternoon, March 10th, the average price per gallon in Iowa was $3.92, The national average was $4.32. For comparison purposes, the current Iowa average of $3.92 compares with an average of $2.79 one year ago. Gas in Iowa went up by 45 cents a gallon in the past week alone. It's 65 cents more per gallon than it was a month ago. 
One more statistic. Iowa's record per gallon average was set in mid-July of 2008 at $4.03 per gallon. Only about a dime more than the number as of the preparation of this broadcast. Now, obviously, if this continues, it could adversely affect summertime or business travel, as well as the cost of goods generally due to increased fuel costs to transport those items to stores. This with an already stressed supply chain. Coming up, a spirited Northwest Iowa business. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. This is Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Spring has sprung and so has our March-April issue, available on newsstands at Hy-Vee and iowahistoryjournal.com. Read our cover story, Making Waves, about the centennial of Iowa radio stations, the first in a three-part series, as well as stories about the farmer's holiday strike of 1932, actress Margaret Lindsay, and the University of Iowa's 175th anniversary. Subscribe today at iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Waste Reduction Center, hosts of a one-day Energy Trends Workshop at the Embassy Suites in Des Moines on March 24th, including keynote sessions, a panel of Iowa energy experts, networking, and more. For information, go to iwrc.org. In this week's Business Profile segment, you'll meet Ryan Baer, CEO and Master Distiller with Century Farms Distillery, a business he and his wife Amanda operate in Spencer. We met at the Hawkeye Farm Show earlier this month, and I learned about their unique partnerships with Iowa's corn producers, custom-made and packaged spirits made from a specific farm's corn. My wife and I are both mechanical engineers, went to Iowa State, and she and I had worked in mostly oil production, oil refining, uh, different states before we moved back to Iowa, and it was for corn ethanol is why we moved back, and that's where we learned our post-apocalyptic skill of how to turn corn into alcohol. It's a skill that many would find quite valuable, especially in these days. All right, so what led you to say, let's make this a good, strong family business? We, of course, experimented a little bit in the garage for about five years and, you know, got rather good at making corn whiskey and bourbon. And uh, it was about five years ago in 2017, we bought our buildings and uh, started construction. What's unique about our plant and unique about our process is she and I designed and built every piece of equipment that we use in our manufacturing process. So it's about a 2,500 bottle a week distillery. What's fun about it, we probably built it for about 10 cents on the dollar compared to uh, what a commercial distillery would cost to to put up. But yeah, it's very much built around a a unique concept. And what we do is we receive corn from individual farms, from individual farmers, and we'll custom manufacture a barrel of bourbon or, or corn whiskey from an individual farmer's corn. And then we custom label that with every single bottle of whiskey we produce has the farmer's name, the state and county, and a biography of that family, you know, really telling you their their history. And it's in that way that we're trying to make a consumer product, a a buy-local product in Spencer, Iowa, that we can sell anywhere uh, where corn is grown. That's such a fantastic partnership because as opposed to some sort of nameless, faceless acquisition of materials, you're talking to people as we are meeting each other for the first time at the Hawkeye Farm Show. You wanted to reach out to folks to see if they might be interested in getting their product in front of you so you could produce something that has their name on it. That's a a fantastic partnership. 
absolutely right. And of course, we're we're members of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. But yeah, we are making a tangible consumer product made with number two yellow corn that actually ties number two yellow corn back to that that individual family, that individual farm. You call the business Century Farms Distillery. That has a great sense of history, obviously, in the state of Iowa. We value those deeply, but you're not limiting it in any way, and you have another brand name that you use. That's right. You know, if you are a Century Farm, we'll uh, label the whiskey made with your corn as our premier Century Farms uh, bourbon or, or corn whiskey. But Prairie States is also a label that we use for uh, if you're, you know, not a Century Farm. And where that idea came from is we uh, drove through uh, between Dallas and Fort Worth a couple years ago, going to the Iowa State Bowl game in San Antonio. And I, I look out the window and I see corn stubble on either side of the interstate as we drive between Dallas and Fort Worth. And of course, that's what that product is for, is if we buy corn from Dallas, Texas, then yes, we would like to be able to market that product back into that area as a buy local product. We buy the corn from the individual family farm. Uh, We buy the corn, the family agrees to buy 60 bottles of bourbon, two years old, made from the corn grown on their farm. And uh, 45 bushels of corn uh, is usually what we get, a pro box, get a seed box of corn from the the farm. We'll actually make about a thousand bottles of whiskey with that. So, you know, not surprisingly, corn makes a a lot of alcohol. When you're doing this, and, and basically, let's say I owned a farm and I did business with you, and you produced a special whiskey that's got my farm name on it, I get souvenirs out of this, not just the bottle. Absolutely right. We can custom label those bottles, uh, you know, individual for your family, or if you have a seed business or other ag business that you want to promote, you know, I, I say, you know, thus making it tax deductible, we can <laughs> we can certainly, <laughs> certainly do that. But the other thing that's kind of fun about that, and, and this is part of our marketing strategy, is, uh, you know, if you're from, say, Grundy County, Iowa, you know, certainly we're going to target our marketing of those bottles made with your corn into, you know, we're going to call upon every bar, liquor store, and restaurant in your your hometown to sell that that local product. So yeah, it's a bit of a vanity product. You get to get to be the guy with your name on a on a bottle of whiskey and you know hopefully every bar, liquor store and restaurant in your hometown. We've talked about the Century Farms approach and why that's such an important thing here in Iowa. How did you come upon that as the name for Century Farms Distillery? Well, my wife's family, her Century Farm was, uh, and I say that in the past tense, was in Grundy County, Iowa. And it seems like, uh, you know, every family, especially when these have been through uh, inheritance so many times, you know, oftentimes somebody gets the the idea to, to sell the family farm, break the piggy bank open, get all the cash out of it. But oftentimes, one of the ways that we sell this uh, this this process to, to families, where if you're looking ahead to that next generation who's going to inherit your family's farm, let's remind everybody in your family that this is a, a really important part of your family's history. That is the crucible. That is where everybody in your family came from, ascended from that piece of piece of real estate. And instead of, you know, just getting a check a couple of times a year as it produces cash rent, let's also, like, make a barrel of bourbon with that. Let's let's celebrate our family's history. Uh, let's make this relevant to the next generation who's going to own and, and inherit that farm. What kind of an aging process does this involve? I suppose it depends on the product and what your ultimate goal is. But from start to finish, what's a, an average time frame for this? Yeah, so the whiskey that we make, we make a couple of different products. But, uh, you know, the, the main thing that we're after is our, our two-year-old barrel-aged uh, bourbon. 
and of course that takes about two years in the in the barrel to age. We also have an accelerated aging process that we use. We use oak chips, we use activated carbon, and that's ready about two months or so after we, we process your order. And a lot of times families want to get, you know, something from zero to two years, something to put under the Christmas tree, so to speak. So you know, I'm proud to say that we customize those. We have different tractors that we put on the labels, you know, depending on what brand your family is historically farmed with. I personally happen to like ours at the, the beautiful WD-45 Alice Chalmers, but that's, that's my own bias. Well, we certainly know you couldn't have on your families a green tractor, let's say, given that uh, that heritage. That's very important to folks. No, but if you're from Charles City, Iowa, and if you want an <laughs> Oliver on that label, well, I'd definitely make that happen. How big do you think this is going to get in terms of either production or the geographic area by which you get some of the product to turn into these fine spirits? Well, of course, starting a small business is never never for the faint of heart. This is like pushing a boulder uphill, and you know, for five years we've been been pushing on that boulder. But yeah, we would like to make uh, whiskey with you know, there's 38 out of the 50 states in the U.S. that grow corn. Uh, we would like to make you know whiskey from all all states. We'd like to you know sell it all throughout the country. And one of the things I'm particularly proud of, and it's actually in the Iowa legislature right now, our uh, local representative Megan Jones uh, has introduced a bill to allow shipping of spirits in the state of Iowa. Um, and of course, that's one that we're pulling for hard. And I hope that we're we're allowed to finally ship spirits in Iowa, much like you know wineries are allowed to to ship wine. Ryan Baer of Century Farms Distillery, online at cfdistillery.com. They're based in Spencer, and when you're in the area, they invite you to stop by for a tour of their unique, custom-built facility. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.